0: The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading.
1: Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen.
0: We saw kind of a mixed bag of trading on the day Tuesday with grain and oilseed contracts uh, kind of just churning around in quiet action. We found a little more strength in soybeans and soybean meal on the day while we did find some buying strength in cattle and hogs. Pretty good money flow day seen there. Energies outside markets, relatively quiet on Tuesday session. We're going to talk about all of it more here today. On Market Talk, thanks for joining us once again. I'm your host, Jesse Allen, and uh, yeah, kind of a lackadaisical type trade. It almost makes me feel like uh, we're in holiday mode to some degree. Just not a whole lot of news really moving the uh, grain markets on the day, Tuesday. The opposite, though, uh, in livestock as it's a pretty prosperous day on Tuesday across all three livestock markets, live cattle, feeder cattle, and lean hogs. Hog market uh, seeing the biggest gains of the day on Tuesday. Uh, still waiting on cash cattle activity to uh, be reported here yet this week. And uh, still, though, a strong day for the live cattle complex and more. We got a lot to look through here today on the show. And really, I'd love some thoughts in the grains as to just what we're seeing chart-wise and and what is really moving these markets or not moving these markets here As we work through the back half of January, we're gonna have a conversation. No doubt we'll get into some technicals and fundamentals with Brian Split from Agmarket.net. He is joining us on today's program. He'll be with us in segment two and three to discuss what he's seeing in the markets here today. As we work through the um, end of the month here. So again, uh, looking forward to a conversation with Brian Split coming up here in just a little bit. Also at the end of the show, we're going to take a look at some news headlines. Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack making an announcement about expansion of renewable energy and domestic fertilizer production. New uh, awards from USDA. He made that announcement during the American Farm Bureau Convention this week at Salt Lake City. We're going to hear comments on that. Also, Agoro Carbon surpassing 2 million acres enrolled. We're going to hear some uh, comments about that as well from Agoro CEO. So all that and more coming up in news headlines at the end of the show today. First up, though, let's take a look at some market analysis and get some thoughts from Arlen Suderman, chief commodities economist at StoneX. I talked to Arlen just after midday, right around the midday hour on Tuesday, and got his thoughts on the quietness of the grains, some updates to China's economy, and a look at livestock. Here's Arlen Suderman with StoneX.
2: Always feels like more of a holiday malaise than what we got between Thanksgiving and Christmas as the markets are just kind of drifting. But they've come down so far, Um, end users realizing the lower prices go and the bigger the short or sold positions that managed money gets, the more at risk they are. So kind of because of the sheer lowness of prices, we're starting to see some demand pick up, some buyers come in, some bargain hunters. That's providing a little bit of support at this level. Doesn't mean we'll necessarily hold it. Doesn't mean we'll necessarily sustain a rally. um, But for now, we're kind of chopping out some sideways trading action in these markets. And uh, And it's just kind of drifting sideways.
0: I know a lot of focus on the Chinese economy right now. Uh, They're trying to uh, stop some of the selling in their stock market and and things like that. A lot of uh, concerns about their economic health, so to speak, and how that could translate maybe into commodities and more. Talk about what's going on in China right now.
2: Yeah, one of the biggest problems is our property sector. And as you know, when consumers are worried, they don't tend to not make big purchases. So, and property would certainly be one of those. On the other hand, property makes up about 40% of the typical household assets. And so when property is losing value, therefore each household asset is decreasing as well. And so consumers tend to pull back of their purchases and that's hurting the Chinese economy. On top of the fact that uh, both Europe and the United States are deleveraging from China, buying less stuff. They're more onshoring or, or frontshoring to other nations and uh, deleveraging their dependency on China. So China's economy continues to hurt. For the last year, China has been trying to implement various policies to stimulate their property sector, but they just haven't. It's been seen by consumers and, and analysts both by. Too little too late they just haven't done the type of thing that would really change sentiment at all and sentiment is a big part of consumer confidence and of an economy and so their stock market is now trading at five-year lows as a result should that be a concern to us regarding commodity demand yes so far that's mostly been in the energy side people are still eating obviously Um, but longer term that has to be a concern
0: in the livestock trade i know we kind of bounced around uh, on cattle and hog futures uh, throughout tuesday's morning session looks like the tr- the tide is turning to the upside here in midday trade any notes in the proteins
2: yeah, certainly we are seeing some more strength there today, which is good to see after a down day yesterday. Um, we're still trying to recover from from the harsh weather we had across the plains in the Midwest and trying to get slaughter levels back to where they need to be once again. Packing plants are pretty much back to operation, but we took a lot of weight, particularly off the cattle. We've got to get that weight back on. As we look at our daily kill yesterday, just 115,000 head. That's still not quite back to normal. We need to get north of 120,000 head uh, to get there closer to 125,000 head. Um, and uh, we've really seen that the the slaughter has been impacted about as much as when we had the big polar vortex of February of 2021, so almost three years ago, uh, when we shut down plants as far south as Texas. And at that point, we kept trade steady for a length of about five consecutive weeks the product market is still pushing higher overall uh, and that suggests tight supplies so far because of that slowdown and uh, we need to get those animals back up the weight gain and back into the system.
0: And once again that is comments and market analysis from Arlen Suderman chief commodities economist at StoneX joined us for our midday commentary on the day Tuesday. And again, talking about China's economy, I know that is a a big uh, talking point, or I think it needs to be maybe a little bit bigger talking point here uh, in terms of some demand. It's something to keep a close eye on. Also, uh, I should mention this, too. um, We're watching the acreage battle already start to uh, ramp up here in the U.S., and that's going to be a big driver I think you're moving into spring. Farm Futures releasing their 2024 acreage estimates on Tuesday morning. And according to their latest grower survey, they expect U.S. farmers to plant 92.8 million acres of corn, 85 million acres of soybeans in 2024. That corn number would be down about 1.8 million acres from 2023. The soybean number would be up about 1.4 million acres, and it would be the fifth largest crop ever planted if realized. Now, Farm Futures found in their survey many of the usual rotations expected to remain consistent in 2024, while acreage could shift in some areas outside of the main corn belt. And as they said uh, that their spring wheat estimate, in fact, 9.1 million acres down 19% year over year. And if that's the case, uh, we could maybe be looking at some uh, different acreage in parts of the northern plains so that is again the latest uh, survey from farm futures you can find that on their website at farmfutures.com all right coming up next we're going to talk markets we're going to take a look at things and uh, discuss charts and what we're seeing right now in the grains and the livestock trade and more brian split with agmarket.net is our guest analyst and he joins us after the break we'll be back with more here on market talk right after this
3: If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice, and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand.
4: Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk and hit the subscribe button, or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube
1: stay up to date and listen to past episodes online at markettalkag.com now back to market talk with jesse allen
0: well as a look at tuesday's market action the soy complex is where most of the fanfare was in the grain trade a little bit of a late push in the soy complex we look over at livestock, pretty robust day in cattle and hog futures as well. Got plenty to take a look at and talk about. Joining us for a conversation on today's Market Talk, Brian Split with agmarket.net. Brian, good to talk with you again, buddy. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, I'm doing
5: fantastic. Always good to be here, Jesse.
0: Well, let's start with soybeans here today, Brian. That was kind of, uh, I'd say, the one of the winners of the day, uh, a late push there. I, I didn't see much in the way of news headlines, so wondering if some of this is maybe um, some some folks coming back in and and bargain hunting a little bit here potentially in the case of soybeans. I, I guess I don't know. What are your thoughts with the soybean action we saw on Tuesday?
5: Yeah, it was definitely a good close. We were able to push through last week's highs and uh, and and close above them late in the session. And, uh, you know, with corn and wheat, uh, everything was higher this morning. Corn and wheat backed off and beans backed off with them. uh, Did not go negative like the other two did. And then we just saw it kind of climb back, uh, make new highs late in the session. And, uh, you know, there were some rumors when we were testing $12 that maybe China was canceling purchases that they had made. And that doesn't seem to be the case. And if anything, we had a a fresh sale um, that was announced here. And and I, maybe with the type of trade that we're having right now, we might see some more of those sales to come. Uh, generally, when China cancels, because China has multiple entities that buy. Uh, if it's Kofco and it's like the state run agency, they're probably not canceling. If it's the crushers that are buying and if their mer- margins turn negative, they're the ones that will typically cancel. Uh, so we haven't seen anything out of that. but. Um, Just the fact we were able to get through the 10-day moving average, hold that. uh, Then we got through last week's highs and closed above it. I think that looks positive. So now the next level that beans need to get above in order to continue this technical uh, short covering would be uh, there were three highs that we made just before the January report, 1251 and a half, 1250 and 1249 and three quarters. So we can get through that little shelf. Then it looks like the next thing would be to try to fill that gap up there at 1296 and three quarters. And I think that could be something that happens sooner rather than later. Um, You just think about all the information that we digested with soybeans. And I I personally believe that um, the numbers that we just saw for South America's total production between Argentina and Brazil are going to be the largest numbers that we get from the the agencies, if you will. Um, Now we've got a, a forecast for hot and dry in Argentina for at least the next 10 days. Uh, And if that continues past that, then that's going to become a little bit more of a story. Their crop is not done yet. It's still in the vegetative stage. So there's still a lot that needs to happen for that, that crop to, to reach its, its full potential. Uh, So some hot and dry here uh, at this stage is likely to then back off some of those estimates. And we're still too high and on the Brazilian crop here. Um, Mm -hmm. So USDA at 157 is, is not where the market is. Um, And, we we got an outfit agro consult that's like the Cadillac of the uh, the crop tours in Brazil and they're doing their deal right now so it'd be really interesting to see where they put the total Brazil crop when they're done
0: yeah it would be very interesting and I think some of these weather challenges are, are kind of creeping in here a little bit back into the market sentiment anyway that you mentioned you know in, in some cases too we've seen rain in parts of Brazil that could possibly hamper and delay some of the soybean harvest, which could spill its way over into Safrina corn planting, too. I know that's a, another piece to this South American puzzle that could have some market impacts here over the next, I'll say, you know, three to four weeks, Brian.
5: Yeah, I mean, you, you talk about that dynamic. Uh, any rain here into uh, into harvest and, and if it sticks around and now you've got the crop that's kind of uh, sitting uh, in in standing water that's not good for uh, the crop itself. Uh, we saw that that actually happen in Argentina in 2016, where they had a great crop in the field, and then it just started raining and wouldn't stop, and there was flooding, and uh, you know they were estimating that. We were going to lose about 10 million tons of their production just because of that flooding. Uh, they overdid it. We only lost about half that, but they priced it in and they priced it in very quickly. So you never know what's around the corner. Uh, as far as corn goes, it's a couple things that that harvest delay then delays the the seedings of the safrina crop. Uh, but I've also heard talk about just the sheer economics uh, in Brazil because of the price devaluation, Um uh, and, and are the producers going to, to plant aggressively for that second Safrina crop? Are they going to throw the kitchen sink at it as far as inputs to make sure the crop yields as much as possible? Or is this something that uh, that the producer pulls back on as far as some investment there? I've also seen uh, uh, talk about some of the, the early planted beans in the Mato grosso area not being harvested and just planting corn right now. So there's a lot of stuff that's still going on right now that this market needs to, to digest and figure out.
0: I think we could probably safely say, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that uh, the 1201 low here in soybeans, probably a solid area of support at this point. But on the flip side in corn, I'm wondering what is our good support area here or you know, are we able to maybe slowly bounce off bottom here in corn? I guess talk about that a little bit for me, Brian. I mean, what realistically, what are we looking at here in this corn market that's been – pretty quiet lately.
5: Yeah, you know, there's a little bit of a difference between corn and beans, and that's how much the producer owns. Um, And so when you look at that 1201 low in beans, uh, just the fact that we're now nearly 40 cents off of that, it looks really good, right? It's, oh, all right, that was a good strong low, and we're coming off of it pretty aggressively. Uh, For corn, I think we tested very good support so you could look at a continuous chart for corn. And for those that are listening and don't know what that means, that's a chart that always shows the front month contract at any given time. And so when you go back over the last uh, you know, decade and put yourself back into that 2014 through like 2019, 2020 period, the 440 area was like the upper end of the trading range. And then in 2020, after commodities made that COVID induced low, and then China came in and bought product at multi-decade lows. We then took that 440 area out and, and that was a very strong breakout to the upside. We all know what happened from there. So I'd like to think that old resistance is now new support. Uh, we definitely wanna see corn hold that 440 zone. Um, and we're talking highs that were like 437 and a quarter, 438, 439, right? They were all mingled in that area. So. With last week's low at 436 and three quarters, we went right to that area. We caught right where we should. It just hasn't bounced off of that level as nicely as the soybeans have. Uh, We pushed through 450 very briefly, saw 450 and a half. And then I think you saw some very short-term profit-taking. I think people are still nervous to hold corn longs. Uh, But now if we can get above 450 on a closing basis, I think that would go a long way. And, and like you said, we're getting into the acreage discussion here, and let's not forget the month of February sets our spring averages for crop insurance levels, mm-hmm. and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we actually had the market go up into February so that our average prices are higher than where they are currently.
0: Yeah, we were chatting about that before we went live, the acreage discussion, and I know uh, Farm Futures released their acreage estimates on Tuesday morning, and mostly marginal changes, but the, the big one that stood out to me was the potential of – spring wheat acreage being down quite substantially and the talk of some of those um, fringe acres as we've called them before switching over to say soybeans i guess overall brian uh, this acreage discussion is really going to be i think a big story here over the next couple of months
5: it is i mean the the market um, you know has had so much bearishness to focus on Uh, what is the next bearish thing and i think we've dealt with a lot of bearishness so Uh, There are some positive things that are out there. Some of it's just cyclical as far as timing goes. And like we said, uh, you know, setting spring averages for crop insurance hopefully is a positive time where you can move those levels higher. But you're right. You look at that spring wheat and, uh, you know, the estimate was that we're going to be down a little over two million acres year over year for spring wheat. So um, if that comes to fruition, then we're really going to be focused very intently on the winter wheat crop. And what things look like coming out of dormancy. And if it looks like there's any concern there, uh, if there's stress, and we'll see how weather evolves in the plains up into that point, but that'll then put some pressure on spring wheat to maybe rally to get some of those acres back because we may need them in the big picture if the winter wheat is running into some issues. So we'll see how that comes about. But that's definitely a, a story to watch moving forward.
0: Well, once again, we are talking today with Brian Split from AgMarket.net. We will continue that conversation coming up here after the break. A few of the closes from Tuesday. Corn for March up three quarters of a penny, 4 and a half. Looking over at new crop December corn as well. That contract was up one at a quarter, 477.5. March beans up 15 at a quarter, 1239.5. New crop November beans up nine and a half at 1207. Bean meal, March up 530 a ton, 361.10. Bean oil for March up five points, 4821. March Chicago wheat unchanged, 596.5. March Kansas City wheat up 10.5, 617.5. March spring wheat down one and a half at 699. Looking over at the livestock trade, February live cattle up 87, 174.65, April up 92, 177.82. Feeder cattle, January up 117 at 231, March up 237, 233.65, February hogs up 237 at 73.30, and April hogs up 270 at 80.32. We'll continue our conversation with Brian Split from agmarket.net. On the way, here on Market Talk, right after this.
3: If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice, and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand.
4: Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube.
1: the market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen.
0: We're having a conversation today with Brian Split from agmarket.net. And Brian, uh, I know too, in the in the wheat, uh, KC wheat had a pretty decent day on Tuesday. But to your points, really watching that crop, that winter wheat crop come out of dormancy, that's going to be a big key. And you know, thinking too long in this acreage discussion, I look to the south. I know cotton has had a pretty good run here as of late. And just thinking about some of these outside markets and the potential they could have, I think overall the running theme that we always hear and I continue to hear is that corded soybean rotations in the heart of the corn belt are probably going to stay the same. Uh, but it's some of these outside areas too. And I just, you know, it, it makes me wonder you, you raise great points here, thinking about, okay, spring wheat side i think about cotton in the south and the delta as well there's a lot of shifting parts here and throw on top of that too the overall economy and some of the money flow into outside markets there's there's a lot kind of churning around here that could add on to what we're seeing in these commodities right now on the grain side brian
5: Yeah, you know, there's a lot of commodities that um, started the year very weak and have put in some lows early in the year and have started to bounce. Cotton's one of them. Cotton's had a very strong performance over the last couple of weeks. Um, You think about what's going on in the meats right now. Uh, Lean hogs, for example, Uh, we have been trending lower since about June in this April lean hog contract. We took out the downtrend today. Uh, We were sharply higher. We had two previous peaks that were just under seventy nine fifty on the April contract. We blasted through that, went about another buck above it. Uh, so it looks like the the hog market could have potentially broken out to the upside. We'll obviously want to see some follow through, and if nothing else, maybe revisit that support, hold it, and then look for some new highs afterwards. Uh, you look at live cattle and feeder cattle. We had the cattle on feed report last Friday. It was decidedly neutral. We saw some very short-term profit taking yesterday coming out of the weekend, closed off the lows. And then here we are today, both the live and the the feeder uh, cattle markets making new highs for this recovery bounce. So that's positive. Uh, And then maybe you shift over to the energies and take a look there. And you've got uh, crude oil has been trending lower, heating oil, which is your proxy for diesel fuel has been trending lower. Both of those have taken out their downtrend lines. We're starting to build bases of support at some of these longer term moving averages in the energy markets. Uh, And and we're definitely not at a shortage of geopolitical things going on uh, globally that could very quickly and very easily turn those markets back to uh, a positive sentiment. So, um, you know, and it's interesting. I don't know why the Fed should really lower interest rates with the stock market doing what it's doing and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the unemployment numbers where they are. Uh, the consumer sentiment made a huge jump here recently. Uh, but it seems like the, the market is preparing for the fed to start going back into that, uh, that thought process and, and maybe it doesn't happen as soon as what they had hinted in their last meeting. But, uh, it seems like some of these commodities after the beatdowns we've seen are starting to find some value and we're starting to see the markets, uh, you know, little by little start taking out resistance and build a good base
0: i wonder too i I feel like you know china's the big elephant in the room i mean china's got a mess on their hands with their economy from everything that we can tell at this point in time brian so i wonder if you know china's not necessarily in the in the grain buying and meat buying business as much as normal you know will we have to rely on more domestic demand here in the u.s or some of our other export partners i think about Mexico, Canada, Latin America, Europe. I mean, you know, thinking about China here, I'm very curious, I guess, to see just how bad this economic situation is over there and how it could impact the broader picture here in grains and livestock, Brian.
5: Yeah, there's a couple of things with China. You know, you talk about the economic side of it. Um, The population is not growing. You know, that's a problem, uh, you know, as far as big picture demand sentiment. Uh, we look at the amount of hogs that they liquidated and the losses that uh, hog producers were taking. Um, and so with all of those animals that were requiring feed before they were liquidated, it's now estimated that uh, their demand for soybeans and soybean meal because of that liquidation is going to be reduced. And we're not going to need to see them buy at the same pace that they had been. Uh, so that's an issue. Um, but it it, it is one of those things where, yes, demand uh, domestically is going to be something that we're going to be really looking at. And again, uh, you know, you think back a year ago and and a lot of the talk in Beans was positive about soybean oil uh, because of the renewable diesel initiatives. And so these plants are continuing to come online. There was one in California that's a big one that was just uh, approved here. And so that should be Uh, something that should be positive for uh, overall domestic consumption. And as we continue to see more of these plants come online, uh, we're just building a better and better domestic base of of demand. Uh, You think corn for ethanol has been a bright spot, and we're still running above where the USDA has us as far as our pace. So I wouldn't be surprised to see the USDA increase the corn for ethanol demand on the balance sheets. Uh, I think, you know, back to what more could be bearish. I mean, we, we had the final production numbers from the USDA. It was a bigger yield than expected. And everybody was so focused on that yield number being a new record that they kind of glossed over the fact that carryout only went up 30 million bushels from the previous month. And that's mm-hmm. not a, you know, I had people call me saying, I'm surprised corn's not limit down on that yield number. And it's not the yield that we're trading. It's the whole whole pile, right? The carryout, that's the the big number. So to go up 30 million bushels from the previous amount, I didn't think was that bearish. And and I think you could get that 30 million bushels back and then some from uh, some some additional demand that I think will come into the balance sheet. So I wouldn't be surprised if over the next one, two, three, four months, our carryout is actually lower in corn than where it was in December. Um, So I, I think there's things that are kind of shifting and turning here. And a lot of it may just be money flow. You know, if the money flow doesn't want to be as short commodities as they are now, I mean, think about corn has the largest short position from the managed money in this time of year that they've ever had, Uh, and and the the last time they were roughly this short or close to this short was 2017. So what did they do? Well, in 2017, they went from short about 225,000 contracts in January. They covered those shorts. They actually went long uh, into mid March and were long 225,000 contracts. So you could very quickly see the fund shift for a a four to six week period. Now what I would caution you as far as what happened in 2017 is that whole buying spree from the funds that Mm -hmm. 450,000 contracts only rallied the March contract like 35 cents. So again, one of the problems is the producer still owns so much grain right now that they are going to be a constant natural seller in the marketplace as the funds are covering shorts.
0: You raise some great points here. Let's wrap up this conversation and, you know, thinking about, uh, you just said it, I mean, a lot of producers holding on to product right now. What would you remind folks in this environment as it looks like these markets are building a good base? What would you remind folks as they're trying to manage their risk right now, Brian? Well,
5: one of the concerns I have is if we do get the fund manager to cover corn shorts, Uh, And the futures market does rally and let's say it rallies the same percentage wise as 2017 and we go up maybe 40 cents. What's going to perform better on that 40 cent rally, the futures going up 40 cents or your cash? And I think it's the futures, because if the market goes up 40, the basis is there to control the flow of cash grain. Uh, they can only handle so much of it. So I think you get a 40-cent rally. You may only see the cash market go up 20, 25 of that. I think basis is going to take a hit. Um, so we've had some producers lifting hedges, selling the physical because the basis has improved, and then looking at reowning it on the board. Um, because in our opinion, if the market were to rally, we're going to be able to reap 100% of that rally if for long futures where we don't feel that's the case in the cash market.
0: Brian, great stuff as always. And I know folks can reach out to you guys, look at your intel and more at agmarket.net. And they can also find more info about your conference coming up here just a, a couple weeks away here in Nashville, Tennessee. I know I'm looking forward to being there for two days. Uh, give us a plug for the conference real quick, Brian. Yeah, it's just under
5: two weeks away. Uh, it's gonna be that weekend between the conference championships and the Super Bowl. So Sunday to Monday, two-day event. Um, and check us. Just go to the website, there's a link there where you can register. Uh, if you're going to go, I would register quickly because we're running out of rooms. Our our attendance is up significantly over the last year. Uh, it's going to be a
0: great lineup. It is a great lineup. Again, more details agmarket.net. Brian Split always appreciate the time, my friend. Thanks for joining us on Market Talk today, and we'll talk to you soon.
5: Sounds good, Jesse.
0: Well, once again, Brian Split there with AgMarket.net joining us here on Market Talk today. Appreciate his time and insights into what we're seeing right now in this uh, market trade. A lot of great uh, technical thoughts there from Brian. Always appreciate it. Again, go to AgMarket.net for more information, see their intel, and check out that lineup for their conference coming up here in just a few weeks' time in Nashville, Tennessee. I know I am looking forward to – being there, covering the conference, and as uh, Brian alluded to, they have a great lineup for the Farming for Profit, Not Price conference coming up here in Nashville. We have uh, a lot of great discussion. Eric Snodgrass with Nutrient Ag Solutions going to be there. Dan Bossi from Ag Resource Company. Dave Hightower with the Hightower Report is going to be there as well. All the Ag Market team. Randy Dowdy with Total Acres going to be speaking on Sunday. This is a Sunday-Monday conference. Folks from uh, John Stewart and Associates, which AgMarket.net is affiliated with, are going to be there, too. Really, this is uh, looking like an excellent lineup here for the convention. Again, February 4th and 5th in Nashville, Tennessee. And it's going to be held here uh, at uh, downtown and a great location as well. It's going to be held in the uh, Renaissance Nashville Hotel. I had that in front of me and then I lost it. The Renaissance Nashville Hotel in downtown Nashville. Again, coming up here on February 4th and 5th and find more details at agmarket.net. All right, coming up next, we're going to take a look at some news headlines before we wrap up our program here today. Looking at uh, various uh, headlines here throughout agriculture, we'll get to all that coming up here right after the break as we're back with more on Market Talk on the way right after this.
3: If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice, and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand.
4: Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube.
1: market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen.
0: And welcome back to Market Talk. Thanks for sticking with us here today. Let's take a look at news headlines before we run out of time here on the show. Well, Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack gave a keynote speech at the American Farm Beer Federation Convention this week, and renewable energy was a big topic. The agency is investing a total of $207 million in renewable energy and domestic fertilizer production projects. Vilsack says USDA has invested money in getting renewable energy to farms across the country, and those investments will continue.
6: We're excited about lowering costs for farmers. We know that input costs are a deep concern. That's why we continue to see an expansion of our Renewable Energy for America program, helping individual farming operations lower their energy costs by installing on their farm individualized renewable energy projects. Today, we're announcing an expansion of opportunity in that space. We're announcing 650 additional projects being awarded in 42 states, about $150 million to expand that opportunity. It's going to help lower costs for farmers all across the United States.
0: He also announced funding for projects that will increase domestic fertilizer production.
6: We're announcing seven more projects that will receive up to $50 million to expand access to additional fertilizer, expand access to fertilizer that will lower costs. Excited about the opportunities in the Midwest in particular uh, to see this happen. This will now bring to uh, the total of 40 such projects that we have funded through the USDA, and we've got about 50 projects yet to be funded. So there's a tremendous opportunity for us to substantially expand access to fertilizer and lower costs for farmers.
0: And once again, that is comments with Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack announcing on Monday during the American Farm Bureau Federation Convention, USDA's investments in renewable energy and domestic fertilizer projects. Well, American Farm Bill Federation President Zippy Duval encouraging members to press Congress to pass a new farm bill. Speaking at the AFBF annual convention this week at Salt Lake City, Duvall told members, quote, I'm asking you to send a resounding message to Congress to deliver a new farm bill for our farms and our country. The road to a new farm bill has become longer than any of us would have liked, but together we could see it through, end quote. Many believe Congress needs to act in the first half of the year to complete a farm bill and avoid the thick of election season this fall. Representative Blake Moore, a Republican from Utah, told the audience making a personal connection with lawmakers works best. He says, quote, most members of Congress, whether they have a D or an R in front of their name, they do believe there is a need for strong agriculture. Quicker expensing of farm equipment and tax breaks for high interest costs are part of a sweeping bipartisan tax bill that just advanced to the full House. The bill, reported on a 40-3 to 3 vote by the House Ways and Means Committee, restores full and immediate expensing for farm and other equipment. Missouri Republican Representative and Committee Chairman Jason Smith.
7: This bill also expands 100% expensing which allows employers to fully deduct the cost of equipment and machines that increase productivity and worker wages. When this policy was originally implemented, investment in American businesses grew 20%.
0: But Farm and other businesses face another challenge addressed in the bipartisan House and Senate bill.
7: Right now, small and mid-sized businesses are getting hammered by interest rates that are the highest in 23 years. Restoring this provision will create more than 850,000 jobs and $58 billion in additional take-home pay for workers.
0: And more broadly, the bill helps rural communities.
7: This bill includes tax relief for communities across the country that have been upended by man-made and natural disasters.
0: Hurricanes, floods, and wildfires among them. Separately and less likely to become law lacking bipartisan backing, a reprise of earlier death tax repeal bills, the latest by Iowa Republican Randy Feenstra with support from 162 lawmakers. Aguero Carbon Alliance, a global leader in the agricultural carbon market, announced that the company has hit a significant milestone. Two million acres enrolled in sustainable practices across the U.S. CEO Elliot Formal shares an update on Aguero Carbon's progress and their continued partnership with farmers and ranchers.
7: We are incredibly proud to be partnering with more and more farmers and ranchers across the U.S. who are implementing practices that will promote soil health, biodiversity, water conservation To date, we've enrolled more than 2 million acres and counting across 26 states. And we've reached this milestone within our second full year of enrollment and continue to demonstrate that we are delivering impact for farmers, ranchers, and our planet. And importantly, I would say that these 2 million acres are conservatively estimated to sequester or remove more than 7.5 million tons of carbon over the contracts.
0: Formal explains what the 2 million acre milestone means for farmers and ranchers.
7: Well, it shows our dedication, Agora Carbon's dedication to advancing sustainable practices and improving farmer and rancher success and ability to deliver meaningful outcomes. So, carbon payments, carbon financing represents an opportunity for producers to gain additional revenue while implementing practices that will improve soil health, resilience of their crops. And we at Agora Carbon are offering multiple contract options to farmers and ranchers, offering prepayments that can support implementation of practices as well as payments upon issuance, and then. We We are also supporting our producers over the contracts and beyond the contracts with our team of grower success representatives that are ensuring that the practices are delivering long-term benefits for our producers.
0: And he says agroal carbon remains committed to advancing regenerative agriculture in 2024 and beyond.
7: Our vision is to enroll millions more acres in the coming years and to generate a substantial volume of high-quality science-backed credits. So by collaborating with farmers, ranchers and industry partners, Aguro Carbon will continue to create positive and lasting impact on the climate, soil health and agriculture. We'll do this by building upon our focus on innovation, industry leading science team, Boots on the Ground, Grower Support. We are also backed by Yara International, which is the industry's leading global crop nutrition company. And we are fortunate that with our combined knowledge and innovation that we are able to offer producers unmatched resources and support as we work with them on their sustainable agriculture journey.
0: To learn more about Aguro Carbon's progress and the carbon market opportunities available for farmers and ranchers, you can visit them online at agorocarbon.com. Again, that is agorocarbon.com. U.S. farmers and producers have experienced droughts, high rainfall and other weather events affecting the 2023 corn harvest, making it more critical than ever to analyze mycotoxin. The Alltech 2023 U.S. harvest analysis has collected and assessed almost 450 new crop samples from across the U.S. and the results show regional variation in mycotoxin risk. Samples showed lower risk in the upper Midwest and higher risk in the east. A combination of drought and untimely rains led to much of the risk. Mycotoxins are produced by certain species of molds and are a concern for livestock producers as they can influence feed quality and subsequent animal health and performance. Mycotoxin levels continue to be higher in the east and midwest than in the United States. Earlier harvest conditions and drier conditions in the west help to create lower risk conditions. The Alltech 2023 U.S. Harvest Analysis demonstrates that mycotoxins are an ongoing dynamic issue that livestock producers need to manage. We're out of time here on the show today. Tomorrow, we'll talk with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day.